Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hillary Milnes, and today's guest is Tim Brown, the co-founder of Allbirds. In this episode, we talked about scaling a direct-to-consumer brand, copycat shoes, and open-source sustainability. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So, Allbirds has been around for, what, a little over two years now? Yeah, two and a half it, years, yeah. It feels like a lot longer. So how That's do you? That's a compliment. Yeah, right. I so, appreciate it. So what what would you say? Like, how do you even put the last two years into into words? What 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 surprises you the most about where you guys are now, as opposed to where you thought you might be? What are some of the highlights? Oh, it's been a whirlwind. Right. Um, I you know I think we've we've come uh, further in, in that in that space of time than I than than I you know I think either Joey or my co-founder or I would have have ever imagined. Right. And I think it's been humbling to see you know, the idea that we put out in the world so, you know, ad- adopted mm-hmm. um, and the purpose of, of why we're, we're building the business, you know, to see that understood and, and to see it resonate in the way that it has, I think has, has been has been really, really special. Right. So how would, how do you define the Allbirds appeal or explain it? Because it's two-sided. It's the products themselves, obviously, and then you have the sustainability um, message behind that. So, and, and that's something that brands for a long time have struggled to figure out. How do you get people to care beyond just the product or how do you get them to, to buy into, you know, a bigger message that, that a brand is undertaking? How do you, how do you explain that, that appeal? Well, I, I think probably, um, if I could unpack what you just said, it's, it's the idea that you kind of getting someone to buy into something is probably the wrong way to think about it. I think, um, I, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, Joey and I started Allbirds with a belief that um, uh, that we needed to find better ways to make things, mm-hmm. and that there was an opportunity to bring sustainable material innovation to footwear uh, in a way that hadn't really been done before with a business model that that made it possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we imagined the business we'd tell our grandkids about in 20 years, and um, something that was beyond the product that stood for something more, and. Uh, we were going to, to to take on this very serious and earnest challenge, and build a brand with a sense of humour and have fun along the way. Mm-hmm. And so I think the idea that the there is one public facing sort of story that you tell, and then an internal one is different is probably an anachronism. It's probably that's brand 1.0, and mm-hmm. I think brand 2.0, if you could call it that, in simplistic terms, is about authenticity and it's about a story that's the same inside and out. And um, that's kind of what we what we we've, we've tried to share. So, so that brand story is making shoes in a in a more sustainable, innovative way. It's better things in a better way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's the way that we've kind of t- uh, and 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 the the interesting twist on that is that people don't buy sustainable products; they buy great products. Mm-hmm. But it's incumbent, I think, or we think, on on business to to make sustainability a non negotiable. Uh, in the way that they operate, and um, that's what we've tried to do. Right. So when you say that you're making them in a way, um, you know, through a business model that makes that possible, what? How does it all come together? Like, what's that? What's that look like internally? Almost all of footwear uh, traditionally touches wholesale, so there'll be someone in between, uh, a retailer in between um, 
the person making the product or the person buying the product. Mm -hmm. And the direct-to-consumer story is about um, owning that relationship. And I think it's it's a story that's not just us. It's much, much broader than, than just Allbirds and much, much broader than just footwear. And it's really about traditional categories that are being upended with a different type of customer-centric relationship. Right. And it largely is about online, but it's also about offline too. And it's about a, a direct relationship that um, allows you to do a lot of different things. And in, in our particular case, it's invest in materials that are not traditionally used in footwear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also about listening to the customer so that you can iterate and improve in a way that's not easy to do when there's someone in between or someone who's selling your product. Right, that that direct feedback is, is kind of the, the basis of the model. I, you know, We like to think of that feedback as our competitive advantage in the footwear space. Mm-hmm. And uh, we launched with just one shoe, the Wool Runner, um, and we've made something like 27 changes to that since uh, we launched, something mm-hmm. more akin to software updates than yeah. traditional footwear. And so I think that ability to listen, iterate, and really focus on solving you know, a problem, a really simple problem has, has been sort of what we've tried to do. How do you go about it in the way that, uh, you know, a brand that, that starts online, like Allbirds, has this really close customer relationship? Early adopters are really important. So if you're making so many updates, how do you sort of reward those people who gave that feedback and have that shoe that they, you know, maybe they had some, you know, some thoughts on when you can, it's not like you can download the new software. So how do you, how do you sort of figure that into the, into the customer relationship process? I, I, I don't think that, you know, explicitly, um, there's any one thing that you do, except mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that um, customers know when brands care and when they're listening. Mm-hmm. And I think you can tell. And I think it's about thoughtfulness and intentionality. And I think when you go into a cafe um, and the bathrooms are tidy and, you know, th- those details matter to right. the overall experience. And I definitely don't sit here saying that we've we've um, we've got everything right, but we've tried to care deeply about every aspect of the the journey and about the experience and about what happens if the shoe size is wrong, and that that thoughtfulness I think is a is a really really important part of the direct consumer story and mm-hmm. that ability to control that entire customer journey because mm-hmm, it builds trust with the customers. It does, yeah. And um, you know, I think the the other contract that we have with our community is that we are trying very, very hard to bring sustainable materials to market mm-hmm. and that as we find better ways to do that, we will improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and most recently, we launched a, uh, our third big material innovation, which was a green EVA made from sugarcane. EVA is one of the most commonly used uh, materials in footwear. It's sort of a foam and it'll be on the bottom of most sneakers. And it's um, we, we found a way to take the kind of the, the petrol out and replace it with sugarcane, and it was a big big moment for us. And we're now we're rolling that material innovation across all of our shoes now that we've found that solution to to that particular problem. So that type of mindset and that that contract that we have with it, with our customers is really really important. Right, they're like along for the ride. They're willing to work with you on this journey. Yeah, I you know I I, I hope so. And um and that's kind of you know that that mentality too of continuous improvement of tr- striving to get better. Mm-hmm. I think um you know is really really important 
for brands as well. Right. And so so tell us about those these materials that you have developed uh, for the shoes. How do you build a team that like where do you even begin trying to <laughs> trying to make new new materials um, out of out of things that you find? It in, took in years. It's taken years. In the first case, we launched our first material was wool. It was a merino wool in, innovation that right. we that we knit actually in in Italy mm-hmm. uh, in Biella, just outside of Milan. It's a, a seventeen and a half micron super fine New Zealand merino wool that's normally made into fine suits for Tom Ford and Armani and. Uh, we probably, you know, it's taken years to work out how to make that into a material for, for use for use in footwear. Yeah, what were some of like the the challenges that you don't really think about, like what a shoe needs to be versus a suit, but you had to kind of meet them as you learned them. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, natural fi- fibers and, and natural materials are sometimes unwieldy mm-hmm. uh, and difficult to to use, and, um, and 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 they're more expensive, and they've been overlooked by the footwear industry almost entirely. In the case of wool, so there was an op. You know, really, we had to start from the beginning, and we neither Joe or I are material scientists, so it it took a long, long time. Um, and then, uh, just before our second birthday, we launched our second material innovation, which is uh, from eucalyptus fiber. It's mm-hmm. our tree range of products, mm-hmm. um, and that was a similarly complicated journey that also involved learning a new manufacturing process. So. I mean, I think uh, neither Joey and I knew anything about shoes. We didn't know anything about wool, as good as it would be for this particular story. I didn't grow up on a sheep farm. <laughs> right. So we've really, um, we've been completely naive about the category and we've had to, to learn quickly. So so you didn't know anything about shoes. You didn't know anything about wool. So how did you even end up with this, this model that you had? I was, uh, I was back uh, in New Zealand um, playing uh, soccer. I had about a decade-long um, professional uh, soccer career, and uh, I was sponsored by one of the large footwear companies that shall not be named, and uh, it was one of the coolest things about playing sport was getting free gear. And the initial observation was that footwear was over-logoed, over-coloured, and seemed to change all the time for no good reason, and it was very, very hard to find simple. Mm-hmm. And so I set out, while I was still playing, to try and work out how to solve that, um, very naively. Uh, went into my first footwear factory in one of my off-seasons, and I stumbled into a category that's very, very old-fashioned, has what I would call a prevailing low-cost mentality, mm. and saw an opportunity to use different types of materials um, on that journey, on that simple journey, that simple vision. So the, uh, Allbird stands for three things, simple design, comfort, and sustainable materials. Mm-hmm. And those three things have, you know, are very, very simple, and it just took sort of six years to work out how to put them all together. Right. <laughs> and so the early adopters, I would say, of Allbirds were, were the Silicon Valley tech scene. It kind of became known as, as a shoe for, for that industry. Is that something you expected or how did, where did that even come from? I mean, I think the, you know, that community is a, has, has adopted us and it's, but it's one of many. Um, and I, you know, I think it was, it's been amazing to sort of see, you know, from San Francisco to New York to all across the States and New Zealand where we first launched, now in Australia, Canada, and then most recently in the UK, where we now have a retail store in Covent Garden. Uh, to see the adoption of the product um, so broadly, I think has been has been amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, we focused on a a younger member of the creative class who maybe lived in San Francisco and New York, and then this thing has been adopted by their parents and their friends, and it's taken on a whole life of its own. Right. So, how do you go about the marketing strategy whenever you have a, a diverse 
customer set that you are targeting or could target in and are actually buying the shoe? How do you speak to all those people? I mean, this this thing has been driven by word of mouth and it's mm-hmm. been driven by a product that solved a particular problem around the idea of comfort mm-hmm. um, through different materials and um, people have told their friends about it and those friends have told more friends um, and that's how this thing has been able to kind of grow as quickly as it has. Mm-hmm. And so the the marketing strategy, you know, in in short, is make great product, right? <laughs> or try to at least, and, right? And um, and uh, you know, and hopefully continue to do that. Mm-hmm. And at this at the same time, there's still you know, once you how do you keep people engaged once they once they do hear about the brand from a friend? Uh, how do you reach? You've gone more international as well you're in a few other markets is it does it you know whenever you're starting kind of at that that level of awareness where do you build from there what what has been effective on that and that side of it yeah i mean the storytelling is really really important and we've we've told the story largely of our journey Mm -hmm. and our journey to to continue to improve to get better to find new materials and we've done that through a lot of different mediums um through these types of things social media has been really really important for us as well um and ultimately, uh, people have have come along on that journey with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and you know, uh, even for example, the sweet foam that was something that took years to work out, and um, was a a, a a journey that took us to Brazil, partnership with a, a, one of the world's largest green energy companies down there to make this thing possible, uh, to convince them to in, make the investment to make sweet foam and uh, to make. A green EVA out of sugarcane. We mocked up a cover of the Wall Street Journal to sort of show them how transformational this could be potentially mm-hmm. for the industry. And um, so, so those th- those stories and that journey has has been has been the brand. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and on that end, in terms of manufacturing, wh- how did you find partners that are you know willing to to make things? Uh, like you said, the, the the footwear industry is pretty old fashioned. You can imagine that there are the factories that that do the footwear for the major brands. Did you have to go around those? How did you how did you find the right people to work with? I mean, it's, it t- it took a long time. Ultimately, um, we make our shoes in Busan in South Korea. And we found a partner there who understood what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And we went to um, a part of the world that is more expensive to make things, but ultimately, you know, uh, was, was somewhere that aligned with, with our sustainable goals and, and our quality standards. And mm-hmm. it's and making stuff is hard. Um, trying to make stuff out of materials in a category like footwear that have never been used before is doubly hard. So it's it's very, very difficult and not something we've take, taken for granted. And uh, we launched on the 1st of March 2016, um, but it was many years and hundreds and hundreds of prototypes to to actually sort of get this product right. It's taken a long, long, long time. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Gianna Cappadona, producer of the Glossy Podcast, taking a quick break from this episode to talk to you about another show we've been working on called the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Each week, Glossy's beauty editor Priya Rao sits down with leaders in the beauty and wellness industries. This week, we welcome actress, model, and beauty entrepreneur Josie Marin into the studio to talk all about her namesake beauty line. You can catch new episodes of the show every Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us any feedback you have. Now back to the episode. And as you've grown in terms of the the product selection that you have beyond the first shoe, 
getting you know word of mouth from customers. Where do you look at and it's and it's an online only model for to start with. How did you then look at okay, what's next? Obviously, there's now a few stores. There's a few new markets. How did you sort of plot the growth out? As like the the products were expanding as well, retail, retail um, was always a part of our a part of our plans. Mm-hmm. I think you know you will remember from when you were a little kid. I'm sure the process of buying shoes and going to the local shoe shop and getting fitted with that funny uh, metal thing that no one knows the name of is sort of is something that's a it's a big part of 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 that category. So we always knew that retail was something we wanted to try and we launched a store very, very early on below our office mm-hmm. and it was small and tiny and uh, it's now blossomed into uh, a, a real concept uh, and a flagship store in, in Soho and in San Francisco and, and in Covent Garden in London. And retail is a big part of our plans and I think we've been, you know, we've been overwhelmed by the response of, of, of the stores and I think people wanting to come into the environment to wear and feel and touch the product, but also learn about the materials and the provenance of the things that they're wearing and buying, which I right. think is a real theme of, of, of kind of consumer behavior at the moment. Right. Yeah. How would you say the, the role of the physical store has changed, especially for a brand like yours? You know, I think that the ability to have an offline and online relationship and to sync those things up, mm-hmm. I think is, is an advantage for us. Um, if you buy a, you know, a pair of all wood shoes, you bought them from us somehow, some way, and the ownership of that ecosystem um, is is really really important. Uh, and so, you know, the retail environment too is something that it's not enough just to put a bench down and a few shoe boxes. Really thinking through that experience of what it like what it's like to come into an environment and mm-hmm. into an all birds physical space is something we've thought deeply about in terms of the materials that we've made the store out of, how we've told stories around the materials, what the experience is like. And actually, um, the, the one of the cornerstones of the of the retail experience is a chair that we've actually designed that is the perfect shoe for trying on shoes. Mm. And it's got a little tilt, so when you sit on it, it just allows you to lean forward slightly so you can touch your, touch your feet a little bit more easily. And all those details and that thoughtfulness is something that I'm really incredibly proud of. Yeah, that's all in the details. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when you look over, you know, at the the, the past two years you had, obviously we're at the end of the year, what, what do you see being like the biggest priority for you in terms of expansion for the brand? Three three things really. Yeah. Retail, as we've touched on, is, is something that I think, you know, has a big, big future for the brand and something that we're, you know, we'll, we will continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, international. Um, and I think uh, Asia is really, really interesting for us. And I think um, more broadly, we've just launched in the in the UK um, and had some great success there. Um, and so I think excited by the potential of our story in, in different markets. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, lastly and probably most importantly, we've seen something like 16 or 17 copycats since we launched mm-hmm. and the need to continue to innovate and to continue to make better products and imagine what's next is very, very important and something that we consumes you know an enormous amount of our of our mind share mm-hmm. and that's both getting better with what we, we already make and imagining what imagining what other problems there are that the brand has permission to solve so staying one one step ahead of the of the it's really important yeah, yeah it's really important and it's a competitive situation but mm-hmm. also as we learn i mean we're still not even three years old so as we learn more about how shoes are made and how you know sustain sustainability can be implemented in the products that we make 
um, we get better and that's exciting. So I feel like um, there's there's so much more to do. Mm-hmm. And and when you say copycats, is that style-wise or, or product, like material-wise? It's style-wise and less, and less material. And I, you know, I think uh, the green EVA, the sweet foam material that we launched, um, we made available to the larger industry with the hope that others would use it. Uh-huh. So I think um, people are, 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 and that is with the belief that the problem of sustainability is not going to be solved just by all birds. We are a tiny, uh, we're a tiny part of a twenty billion per year industry, mm-hmm. and that the the problem is going to be solved with a collective action and a collective shifting of mindset. So the idea that people will also use our materials and think uh, or align with our purpose is fantastic. Mm. I think when um, you know when the design is is kind of ripped off, that's less good. And um, and something that we've seen a little bit, but look, you know, that's it's part of the the part of the part of the game, and and um, you know, we've just got to continue to kind of um, improve, get better, and, and keep um, keep moving moving forward. And do you think that's a radical uh, opinion in fashion, where okay, we have to work together towards this common goal? It seems like fashion has been an industry very well known for for competition and keeping secrets held closely to the chest, um, and as and retail in general. So, are people willing to work with you on that? I, I, you know, I think we've seen an amazing reaction. And to your point, it is very, very different from traditional behaviour in the footwear and fashion industries, where right. you create something and you keep it secret. I think what is becoming clear. Um, is you know a couple of things. One, there's a there's a consumer that's now starting to demand to know the provenance of the things that they wear and buy, and they're starting to demand um, that brands and businesses behave in a better way. Mm-hmm. And the you know the, the second part of it is this problem is is so complex and so urgent. I mean, there was a UN report that came out a few months ago that said we've really got 12 years to reverse the impacts of global warming. We reach some sort of irreversible tipping point. Right. So, you know, in the fashion industry outside of the fossil fuel industry is the largest contributor, Mm -hmm. carbon um, emissions. So there's a problem to be solved there. And I think the idea that we collectively share best practice, I think, is is really something that's starting to be adopted widely because I don't think there's going to be one brand that like cracks this. This is going to be something that we will need to do together. Right. So, so in your mind, if if Nike were to start using your materials, that's a that's a win. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting. So how does that like what you were saying before, it's this new idea where brands, the message that they put out is also what they're speaking internally, kind of having that that tone and that idea permeate both sides, not having like the PR side of the brand and then the internal side. What does that mean for the culture of the of the brand at your headquarters? I think that the message and the and the way that you treat the people that work for you is the same that is the same as the way that you treat your customers. It's one it's one community. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look back to, you know, the first generation of lifestyle brands, they were recently mo- a reasonably modern invention and they often involved uh, an, an icon or a logo and some sort of fabricated aspirational lifestyle, you know, of maybe riding a horse and playing polo, or, you know, that wasn't really real. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the new generation of brands are telling a story that's less about logo and more about authenticity mm-hmm. and about purpose and in our particular case, you know, material innovation, um, and and it's just it's it's just different, and, and and in some ways better. And I think there's this been the shift where people now believe that business can be truly a force for good, and I think that's a relatively new idea, mm-hmm. and I think a really really positive one. 
and uh, you know for us as a, as a B Corp and with a, a, a purpose-driven business I think it's really really exciting time to, to, to be you know trying you know you know trying to, to, to solve the problem that we are right and, and and to that end as everyone is, is working towards this common goal how have you set up the teams internally like you mentioned offline and online need to be synced everyone needs to have the same uh, you know mindset how does everyone work together I think silos are, are kind of one of the biggest things that that modern retail brands have wanted to come out against and, and, and take down and, and work together in a new way well I mean from the beginning we thought deeply about our internal culture mm-hmm. um, we you know I mentioned the B Corp um, uh, certification is something that's been really really important for us we've codified our values our mission of making better things in a better way and we actually wrote a vision statement a 10-year vision statement that we share with everyone that interviews with us um, to align on you know where we're going and what the dream and the big picture is is but also mm-hmm. the qualities of the behavior that's going to get us there mm-hmm. and thought deeply about that and so the internal culture of the team and the diversity of points of view and skill sets the vast majority of which is outside of the footwear industry has been a massive advantage for us and I, in some ways we're powered by our naivety and we've been able to I think collectively attack a very very um, imposing challenge um, with a small group of people that are that are, are moving very very fast. And it's it's interesting as you look at how these startups, their consumer startups, like Allbirds is one of the quintessential DTC brands now, uh, as we as we write about them. And you know, when you start to get scale, you start to expand internationally, you start to open stores. What would you say is the the biggest differentiator that will keep you different from the the brands that you set out to be different from even as you mature as a company i mean i think the quality of of our customer experience Mm -hmm. and making sure every single interaction is is as great as it possibly can be Mm -hmm. every single person that comes in the store and and we uh track very very carefully nps is our sort of north star uh, net promoter score for our customer experience we track that across the business and then also on a store level to um, to, to, to understand how we're performing and also to get feedback, um, which is, is really, really important. Um, but then ultimately, you know, it's, this is about continuing to, to listen and to continuing to innovate to solve problems. Um, and that will involve new products. And it's really, really important that we do that. And we don't, you know, we continue to, to, to get better. Mm-hmm. And, and what are your predictions for, for where customer behavior is going to continue to evolve to in the next Year or two years, I, you know, I think right now it was for a little bit. It was online only. Who needs stores? That kind of fell away. Obviously, okay, we're, they're going to discover us online. They need to shop wherever. It's this cross-channel, channel-agnostic customer. Where do you see that evolving to? Oh, look, that's a big question, and I'm not sure if uh, you know. I, I have, I have a succinct, easy answer for that. I mean, the short answer. You know, it's not. It's not. It's complicated. Who, I, I get who, it. who knows? <laughs> I mean, I think the retail one was 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 interesting. It was sort of the idea that retail was dead and I you know I think it's um, Neil Blumenthal from from Warby Parker who actually sits on our board was the, the one that sort of uh, said that you know uh, retail's not dying it's just bad retail that's mm-hmm. dying and so it's just the importance of experience and I think uh, the importance of, of, of having a, a great uh, customer experience is going to stand the test of time that is always going to ultimately win mm-hmm. and I think the the channels and the technology will change but if you have a business that deeply cares about their customers and creates an experience that's great or as great as it can be, then you, you're you going to be okay. And I think that then uh, it will allow you to sort of overcome the changes as, you know, as they come. 
Mm-hmm. And and as you do grow, how do you consider partnerships as they as they play a role? Uh, obviously, there are there's the wholesale question. Uh, we've seen some some DTC brands go from online to stores to wholesale partners too. Obviously, in a more controlled way, but then there's you know just working with like like minded brands. There's influencer partnerships. How do you sort of look at the people and the brands around you to say how can how can we work together, and and, and then get to the next level? I think one of the things that we've done, um, you know, we've done well potentially is say no to ninety something percent of the opportunities and possibilities to focus on doing a a couple of things really well. Yeah. And I think that's a real narrative of the people that have had success in this sort of direct-to-consumer revolution that's going on is is focus. And um, that being said, uh, you know we've done uh, partnerships uh, when we've seen an opportunity and a diverse range of them when we've seen an opportunity to learn. Mm. Um, in the case of Olivia Kim, who was the creative director at Opening Ceremony, we did a shop and shop at, at Nord, Nordstrom's because there was an opportunity to work with her, and it was fantastic, and she mm-hmm. was amazing. Uh, Shake Shack, it was a small um, shoe uh, partnership with them. It was so much fun, and we were big admirers of that brand. Um, now, what, what did you learn from Shake Shack? I think that the quality of that brand execution and the focus on on customer experience mm-hmm. was, was, was great. And it was a small... Um, shoe uh, drop that we did with them and we made a, um, like a milkshake that it was just it was really really neat and simple but really really fantastic and to see the way that they they execute their brand I think is was is a, a, a great example for us and most recently we did a, an eye mask with Air New Zealand randomly who approached us to uh, reimagine comfort in their first class cabin and we made an eye mask out of New Zealand merino wool um, which was really, really fun, called the Bird Mask, which is available at the moment, and something that um, was was really neat project, and it was an opportunity to make something we'd never made before. Mm-hmm. So interesting, and and so you know, we talked about your priorities for next year, but but as we're, we're wrapping out of time, where do you see the the category that you're in? Going, uh, you know, obviously, as brands scale, it can be harder to keep on hold on to the things like authenticity and customer experience and service. What do you think is going to to make that difference for for new brands like yours that are keeping that focus, focusing on the customer? How do you how do you maintain that? I really do. Uh, well, there's two parts to that. I, I really do believe we're on the cusp of a, of a revolution in sustainable manufacturing, uh-huh. and that. Uh, we need to find better ways to make stuff and that I think the brands and businesses that are, are preparing to do that are making it a non-negotiable, the ones that are going to win. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of for us, I mean, I think it's it's continuing. I mean, it really, really is continuing to try and get a little bit better every day. And I, I think that's something that probably I borrow from my sporting background and maybe as a business, I, it's something that I'm incredibly proud of is that there is a uh, there is a humility about the way that we operate and we know that there's a bunch of stuff we need to be doing a lot, mm-hmm. lot better. And, um, you know, I think that um, that sense of never re- resting on your laurels is really, really important and the great brands that have stood the test of time have maintained that man- mentality for a long, long period. Right. And and so when you think about, in your obviously, magic ball, what does Allbirds look like 10 years from now? Well, we wrote a vision, so I know. Okay. I know exactly. Um, th- look, I, I'm not sure. This uh, the last couple of years have 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 been a whirlwind. It's it's moved faster than we could ever have imagined. I I hope uh, our team and and Joey and I as as founders are continuing to have fun, which has been a real feature of the uh, the journey so far. And uh, hopefully, we you know we have been part of. The leadership or a small part of a, of a movement to making sustainability a non-negotiable and something that 
um, is so prevalent, so understood that we stop using the word and we stop talking about it mm-hmm. um, because it's just the way that everyone's operating mm-hmm. and that we've, uh, you know, we found a way to make, uh, you know, the fashion industry carbon neutral or carbon positive and that, um, you know, the behaviors that uh, are not great at the moment have gone away. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully. A lot of work to be done, but uh, I'm really, really excited about the potential. But thank you so much for having us. It's been great to be here. Thank you. I Cheers. really enjoyed it. Appreciate right. it. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. If you've been enjoying the Glossy podcast and aren't a Glossy Plus subscriber yet, it's time to consider joining to get access to all of Glossy's content, member events, ticket discounts, Slack chats, and more. As a reward for listening, use the code Hillary25 at glossy.co slash plus to get 25% off an annual subscription. That's H-I-L-A-R-Y 25 at glossy.co slash plus. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.